Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Coaches in Quarantine. Now, here's your host, Coach Liam Simmons. Welcome to another Coaches in Quarantine podcast. I'm your host, Coach Liam Simmons from the Enviro NZ Franklin Bulls. Today, I've got Coach Dietrich Taylor from Cal State Fullerton. Coach, how you doing? Good, how are you, man? Good, good. How's uh, life in LA and, and what are you dealing with out there? Super slow motion out here. Super slow motion and, and trying to uh, just trying to stay out of the way, quite frankly, and deal with the elements as they are. And at the end of the day, stay safe and try to keep all my loved ones and everybody else around me safe. It is a crazy time. Uh, here in New Zealand, we've moved to, everyone's got a different label for what they've got going on. We're at level four. Uh, I actually don't know how many levels we've got, but level four seems like it might be the highest. Where are you guys at in terms of what um, LA County or where you're at, California's telling you guys you can and cannot do? You know, what, what we're on is the shelter in place, which is, which is I think, um, it's not, as, I would say if there's a, a numbered system between one and five, five being the highest, one being the lowest, we're probably at a three, and basically what they're asking California residents to do is just basically stay at home and, and not be out unnecessarily. If you have essential travel to the store, to the to the doctor, to the doctor's office to get gas, or you know essential things that you would need to to be able to survive, um, they're allowing you or saying you can go out and travel. But beyond that, they're asking and begging people to stay stay home. You know, stay stay to yourself and try to try to flatten the curve um, so that we can get through this this tough period with this virus. We um, had the pleasure of talking to Danny Sprinkle from Montana State. Uh, that was a lot of fun. He's um, yeah, he's quite the character, and he's one of your guys. Um, tell me about just how fun it's been for you to create this coaching tree, which you've got coming out of Cal State Fullerton, you know, uh, Coach Sprinkle and also Coach Smith, who's joined uh, Cal Poly just this season. How fun is that to watch those guys go on and, and have opportunities to be head coaches? And what sort of stuff are you doing yourself to help prepare those guys for their next step? You know, it's obviously, it's, 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 uh, it's one of the greatest things that we can do in terms of having impact and, and giving back and, to me, it's the ultimate reward because Cal State Fullerton is no easy job, like none of these jobs across the country are. They all are, are hard and difficult for various reasons, but ours in particular suffers from quite a few uh, issues. And so <clears throat> we spent the first six years together and really, really took it from the bottom to the top. Uh, and the ultimate reward outside of pay was to be able to put those guys in position to you know, become head coaches, which is obviously the, the, the end goal and something that we talk a great deal about as far as our growth and our development of our overall program. And for those guys to be able to come here and give us what they gave us, deliver us to uh, uh, NCAA tournament berth and then you know, going back to the championship game in the, in the Big West Conference tournament the year before. And, you know, that, that to me is the ultimate goal or the ultimate gift is to be able to help them get in position to be uh, a head coach, which is something that, like I said, we covet, we talk about, um, and we promote, quite frankly, a, a great deal. So it's been fun. It's been fascinating to have the conversations now, not from assistant coach to head coach. It's, it's been fascinating to have the head coach to head coach conversations. And for us to be able to talk on that level, I think it's been really, really beneficial for all of us. 
a very uh, uh, just a, a great reflection on you, not just as a coach, but as a person. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing you now for a while and spending time talking to you. Um, from a basketball standpoint, one of the things that always stood out to me is when I, I visited you in uh, Fulton, you talked about Coach Herb Sendek kind of pushing you into that space of your next step. How important yeah. was that relationship for you with him in terms of now being a coach that has created a tree? Um, you know, it was it was relatively natural. Um, I think because because of Herb's influence on me as a person, as a coach, it was, in fact, quite natural. I mean, you know, Herb's, Herb's tree speaks for itself. And, in fact, it just grew uh, by another, another limb here this past in the last couple of weeks with Stan Johnson getting the LMU job um, as a part, you know, coming from a part of Herb's staff. And so the one thing that I always credit Coach Sindek for is that he allows guys to coach. He allows guys to work. He encourages it. And it's, and it's a very unique way and a unique style that he has. But to me, it's very, very effective uh, just if you look at his coaching tree and the guys that have come out of his coaching tree. But to be able to kind of reproduce from his coaching tree has been uh, an honor and a privilege. But I think a lot of it started with how Coach Sendek ran his program and how he treated his staff and what the expectations were uh, when you worked for him. Uh, and to put it simply like this is if, if, if you were coaching hard and you were on the floor and yelling and screaming and really getting after it with the players – um, and you were coaching, good for you. He encouraged that. If you weren't doing those things, shame on you. He never really said anything to you, but he just kind of knew, okay, this dude ain't really, you know, trying to coach. Um, and so he kind of uh, would go about his business that way. But if you were a guy who, who gained his trust by being prepared and showing that you could articulate what you were seeing, what you were hearing to the players, and then get them to buy in. He promoted that and encouraged you to do that as much as possible. For instance, you know, when I was there with them, um, over the course of time, probably the last three or four years, um, you know, when coaches speak in the timeout, most coaches go out and they talk to their assistants before, and then they go in to the huddle and they address their team. Well, Coach Sendak doesn't do that. He just goes right in and he addresses his team. Um, but it got to a point to where in the last three or four years between he and I, he would take 30 seconds to address the team and then he would literally look at me and say, hey, you got anything? You want to talk about the defense or what do you want to add? And so we built that relationship that way and I think a lot of it was built on trust and, and um, you know, he gave me a heck of an opportunity. And so when we came here to Cal State Fullerton, we were trying to create the same type of <clears throat> opportunity, the same type of environment where, you know, guys were working. They felt value. Um, and, and they were able to get out on the floor and coach and coach during the games and do all of those things. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a fun thing to watch um, from a distance. And then knowing your staff uh, with Coach Sprinkle and Coach Smith, both are excellent coaches and, and being there on the ground with you guys the time I was there, watching you just allow them to coach, uh, yeah. gave the program... It, it just gave it. It felt like it gave it depth, and sure. and and that created a space where you can do other things outside of, you know, the main bulk of the coaching because you got two guys that are that are adequate and obviously very very good because they've they've now got head coaching jobs. But you allow that space for the program to have depth, and I think it's good for the players to be able to get um, that information, same information, just maybe a different delivery system, and and allow yeah. you know your coaches. Coach, because ultimately that's what they're there for. So 
very cool to watch that. Awesome to talk to him. Um, but but you are a West you are a West Coast dude through and through. Um, you spent most of your career over there. Is that an intentional thing? Did you ever have a chance to go east? Um, you know what? Uh, I, not as an assistant. Ironically, I interviewed at two places uh, as a head coach, a head coach and candidate. I interviewed at West Point, um, and then I also interviewed at the University of Alabama, uh, and actually make it three. I interviewed at Georgia State, and so. Um, Either of those opportunities, I would have. Yeah, UAB, obviously, I definitely would have taken. Uh, West Point, I don't think I was <clears throat> really ready for that that situation, and that's a completely different um, coaching opportunity um, that I, I just wasn't wasn't ready for, in my opinion. Um, in Georgia State, I uh, didn't do a good job in the interview process, and so that that one fell apart. But um, staying on the West Coast is, is something that that is comfortable for me. I'm familiar with it. I think we've built some really good ties and some really good relationships. Obviously, being at Arizona State we've had, and Nevada, we've had a chance to recruit you know, nationally and internationally. And so we've continued to hold on to those ties and, and continue to try to build the foundation of those relationships so that they can benefit us here. And quite frankly, that's the nature of a relationship, right? It's, it's, it's not just transitional. It's, it's more of a relationship that's genuine and it's built on you know genuine care and concern for other people and so we've always tried to maintain that and, and obviously on the west coast we feel pretty comfortable being able to go most places and 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 have that opportunity or excuse me have that relationship uh run its course and and, and hopefully get us what we're looking for which is an opportunity to provide young men with a chance to to play basketball for for a degree and, and, and earn a degree so <clears throat> i'm not scared to get off the west but I do think the West is the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been excited about talking to you because I've been a huge fan of your offensive stuff in the last few years. So today's podcast moves a little bit further away from kind of the generic conversation and more hopefully into depth. I guess let's start at the beginning. Where does your offensive philosophy build from and how has it adapted over the years to where it is now? Um, you know, it's, it's ever evolving, quite frankly. Um, but, but I think a lot of it was built um, based on the previous coaches that I worked for. You know, there are certain things that we've stolen from, from Heath Schroyer, who I was at Portland State with, certain things that we've stolen from Mark Fox, who I was at Nevada with, and then a lot of things uh, from Coach Sendak, um, you know, being at Arizona State. And then even since we've been here, we've, we've, kind of tried to change, not change, but just add things to help us continue to grow and get better, figure out ways to keep the same concepts, but maybe teach them better, um, introduce them better, execute them better. Those are all things that really, I think, especially during this time of year when you're not recruiting, this is the time for you to really be able to look and reevaluate where you are, where you're going, and then try to piece together how you're going to get there. And so over the course um, of this time, We've also really, really put a spotlight on the Golden State Warriors and, and how they play the game and, and San Antonio Spurs and how they play the game. Um, Transition-wise, took some stuff from, from Eric Spolstra and not necessarily X and O's, but more concept. Like if you remember when LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were with the Heat, they were lethal in transition. If they got a rebound, they were racing that thing right down your throat and trying to be able to create some health or scouts with your defense and, and go score. And so we've taken that same mindset and just continue to try to grow it. 
but it also gives us the opportunity to really, really highlight what's what's significant, in my opinion, is is being able to defend. If you can defend, if you can rebound, then we can get out and run. And those are the three concepts that we live and die by in terms of defensively and then offensively. You know, from all of those people that I've mentioned, we've really tried to hone in on spacing, ball movement. And so we employ, you know, a series of, of, of actions that we like to try to move the defense from side, middle side by, by you know, the ball moving. Um, but the base of our offense is getting to our flow, which is it's, it's our, our play after the play, which is what we call flow. Um, and we'll sometimes come down and just get right into flow, but it's, it's centered around four round one spacing, trying to keep the corners filled, trying to keep the slots filled. Um, with one post guy down below working side to side. And, and really the whole concept is trying to, how can we get two on the ball? How can we get the defense to commit two guys on the ball? And we, we like to use it terminology-wise two different ways. We want to either use create that concept with ball screens or penetration, pitch, driving the long closeout. And so if we can stay centered around those two concepts, I think it gives us a good opportunity to, to um, you know, break down a lot of defenses. So let's start with spacing. Uh, Coach Jay Wright from Villanova, um, who's a motion guy, talked about mm-hmm. offense is spacing. So, yeah. you know, there's, everyone runs a bunch of actions, but in his opinion, the spacing is the offense. Uh, how do you go about teaching spacing and what are you looking for when you're, you're coaching in terms of good spacing versus bad spacing? Yeah, good spacing for us to, to still coach Jay Wright's terminology. Our, our, our offense is our spacing. And so what we'll try to do is when we start in the summer, when we start teaching our offensive concepts, we'll teach it with um, X's on the floor, of course. And so we'll put an X in the corner, we'll put it two X's or an X in the slot, another X in the other slot, and then another X in the opposite corner. And we try to teach our guys to, to fill those spots. And that creates our spacing. And the more we can fill those spots just by standing there, it like I said, it creates the spacing. And then within those spots, we teach them or tell them what their options are as far as what their reads could be, um, what they can do in the slot versus what they can do in the corner. Uh, and so we try to teach the spacing through using visuals, uh, obviously through film as well, but mostly just trying to create the illusion that the defense has to either commit to helping or they got to stay home. And the bad spacing piece comes when guys are just, they're ball hungry, or I call them, they, they, they just think they're five-year-olds and they're playing with a wristband. They just got to go get the ball, got to go get the ball, got to go get the ball. And so we try to get guys away from that of, of just, you know, a lot. If you look at the NBA, there's, there's a lot of guys, and I don't want to say standing around because that's what, I mean, it looks like they're standing around, but they're spacing the floor. They're literally standing around and they're waiting for the ball to either catch them, uh, you know, standing and catch and shoot or they can catch it and drive it and so the one thing along with our spacing in terms of trying to create that is we we, we talk about the the ball finds energy the ball finds energy so if you're if you're in those spots and the ball's going away from you we want to exchange and move those spots so that we can move the defense but again creating that energy so that the ball can find you 
and now you can go and make a play either for yourself or for, for the for your teammate. Coach Chris Babcock from the 76ers threw an interesting concept at me, which was they've created um, what they call a four-point line, um, yeah. which is they literally have two three-point lines. Well, they have a three-point line and a four-point line, which goes right into what you're saying is as far as putting the X's down on the floor. Um, yeah. For a coach that's never done that, and he's always kind of thought through, and if I could just do that at practice, what that would look like, this is going to sound like a dumb question. How do you mark your floor? Like, what do you mark your floor with? Um, so we have floor tape um, that is that is a conducive to um, not destroying the floor. Uh, is that is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, I know. It sounds like a dumb yeah. question, but like, no, like, it's a legit. It's a legit question because if you put athletic tape on your floor, it'll it'll and you pull it up it'll pull up the adhesiveness and the stickiness of your floor. And so you want to try to take, take advantage of your floor and take, take good care of it. And so we have a boatload, our, our facilities guy basically orders a boatload of floor tape for us every single year. And so not only will we um, put our, our spacing out on the floor with, with X's, but we also do our defensive concepts in terms of our house. We have a midline, uh, we have a red alert box, we have quite a few markings on the floor just to demonstrate, you know, visually what guys should be seeing and what they hopefully they, they can understand the concepts. And we also we didn't mark it this year, but we talked about it not as much as I would have liked to is that four point line. Um, because, I, you know, obviously I'm good friends with with Lloyd Pierce and, and over the years that he was with the Sixers, we talked about that in terms of creating spacing and allowing guys to be behind that line and step into their catch. And now they can play off of a dominant pivot foot and those types of things. And so we're going to try to take that and, and, and add that as a part of what we do to create spacing, but also help guys understand the importance of catching the ball shot ready. When I got to talk to Chris and I saw it in action for a year, you kind of like, man, that's a that's that's an interesting deal because it feels like you're super far away, and that's not yeah. a shot that many guys. Your immediate thought is like, that's not a shot that guys are going to shoot, but then they start yeah. to teach it where you're stepping into your shot, you're 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 shot ready, and then you're actually starting to get momentum on a catch where you're actually on the move as you're catching the ball, and you're now in attack mode, which is is what you just referenced of of, of yeah. shot ready, dominant pivot foot. How are you in terms of uh, at practice? You've got your X's on the floor. You're talking through spacing. How how married to the spots on the floor are you when you're coaching? And and how early on in, in every season you're really trying to create habits with your players when they're not on X's and they're not in the spaces that you want them. How do you go about presenting that to them so that they better understand the concept of spacing? Yeah. Um, so we, we talk about it to nauseam almost. I mean, we talk about it nonstop. I mean, and everything we do for the most part is a lot of it is centered around those X's, even, even as far as just our catch and shoot drills and our catch and shoot team drills. You know, we have four spot shooting or we'll have five spot shooting and, and, and that the, the, the four versus the five versus the seven, it, 
goes hand in hand with some of the markings that are on the floor in terms of the slots, in terms of the 45. And so the, all those things were just terminology based. I'm sure everybody, if I showed it to them, everybody would know exactly what it was. But we talk about it a, a lot because not only do we talk about being shot ready and catching, we try to set as many ball screens as we can in the slots. And if we're in the slot, then from a spacing standpoint, we want the corners filled. Whether you're ball side corner or you're going, you know, the ball's going away from you, we still want you to be in that space to stretch the defense. And now you shape up or shake, you know, as the ball's going away from you. So we talk about it a lot and we teach to it a lot. Now, if guys find themselves in in between and on a catch, it's not the end of the world. Um, but I would like for them to do one of two things, you know, and this comes from the from the from the San Antonio Spurs is point five basketball. You have two point two seconds to either catch it, shoot it, or pass it. Catch it, shoot it, or pass it. And the, the hard part is, quite frankly, is getting guys to catch it, shoot it, or pass it. Everybody wants to dribble it. Everybody wants to dribble the air out of the ball, and that just allows the defense to load to the ball. And so that's a that's a constant fight that we have. But if a guy is kind of in that gray area. It's not the end of the world. We just quickly try to encourage them to get out of that space and, and create space so that the ball can, can move freely and we can, we can you know, stick to our concepts. Yeah, I had that 10 things run through my mind as you were saying that, which makes me a bad listener. But at the same time, like, it's just, like, it's, it's, I'm hearing you say that and I'm thinking, okay, so the first thought is, is ball screening the slot versus traditionally ball screening the wing a lot of screens, they're coming from the inside out where your your big guy's running out or whoever the ball screener is, he's running from the paint out and you've got guys chasing as opposed to just being on the perimeter and setting them east and west. Why do you screen the slots as opposed to the, the wings for your offense? Uh, because of spacing, once again, we always want to have a throwback option and I feel like if you're on the, on the wings... You know, in the, in the free throw line extended, it's harder to create that throwback option. And so it turns into a naked ball screen. And so the only throwback you have is whoever set the screen. And more times than not at this level, it's going to be your five man that you're kind of throwing two out on the perimeter. And now he's got to go make a play. Even if he's rolling, it's still difficult for him to make a play, at least for us, the guys that we get. Um, if it's our four man, we encourage him to set side ball screens because now he can pick and pop and we can hook pass or throw it, you know, throw it to him in the corner. Now he can either catch and shoot or go create off the bounce, you know, with his guy chasing him. And so with our fives, we like stuff in the, in the slots or in the tunnels, what we call it is, is the, in the tunnel is basically free throw line to free throw line, the lane line, lane line, the lane line extended. If we can set it in there, I just feel like there's more room to be able to create, um, the two on the ball, but then it's more room also. It makes it an easier read. So I'll give you a really quick, perfect example of, of my fascination with um, the Houston Rockets and what Coach D'Antoni has done with James Harden in terms of giving him the ball in the middle of the floor, right? So if you're on the side of the floor, you really can only see half of the floor. So you only see a certain amount of guys if you envision that. But now if you take the ball and, look, and you stand up at the top of the key, now all nine guys are in front of you and now you can visually see and you can also if you're good enough if you have good enough players you can start to manipulate those guys moving if you want a guy to move from the corner 
you can dribble at him or do something different and get him to move or get his defender to move. And so it just creates more options, in my opinion, to be able to visually paint the picture that you want by moving the pieces because you're in the middle of the floor versus the side. Now, there are certain things that we do on the side, and I do if a team is hard hedging. We're going to try to set it more side ball screens to get their big out on the floor and throw it back past them and drive them. Um, but for the most part, for me, I just I like to be able to see all nine guys in the floor. No, I, I personally love it. Like we uh, here at Franklin, uh, that's the only place we really set ball screens for the simple reason that you're saying. Um, the other thing that that we kind of messed around with here is that you know every team in the world is doing exactly what you're saying. With they're they're working on some sort of ball screen defense and nine times out of ten when you watch people work on ball screen defense they work on it from the wing like you're working from a side so that you can get the whole group working you're working right hand side left hand side it's usually a a continuity type deal this group goes next group goes and the one ball screen that I um, I I hear coaches talk about the the most but kind of have the least amount of answers for is a flat ball screen in the middle yeah. <laughs> so it's like yep. everyone's got packages for sideball, ice it, you know, hedge yeah. it hard. Yeah. Um, but then it's like in the middle, how many times have you been to a, a, you know, a session and you hear the coach just like, just mirror it and try and keep them in front the best you can. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it basically. I, I think it, it, creates, it creates so much, it, it just creates so many more coverage uh, issues for, for a defensive team. They, they got to protect the rim. Well, they can't protect the rim if their five man's out trying to mirror the ball. And I mean, you know, some schools do it really, really well, but you, they still leave holes where you can attack it. You can throw back, and now you can drive that close out. You can throw back. You can shoot. You can throw it forward and drive. I mean, to me, there's just there's a lot more options with the ball in the middle of the floor than it is on the side. So we've got you've got X's on the floor. You're spacing. You're talking about ball movement. Point five. Make decisions. Catch. Shoot. Drive it or move it. Um, your five-man setting ball screens. What is your message to your five-man and the guys receiving ball screens? What are your coaching points for a ball screen in the slot? What are you trying to get the defense to do? And how are you asking really, your guys to, to play out of that? Yeah, really what I'm trying to do at the end of the day is find a way for that point guard or that guard, whoever it is, to get the big and his guy on the ball. Where they are... They only have they have eyes on the ball. They're kind of converging and they're trying to stop. So the first thing when I you know if you catch it in the slot and and we know the ball screen's coming, the first thing I'm going to see is is or teach is can you reject it? Can you just reject it or, or are they forcing you to the screen? Are they forcing you away from the screen? But initially, can you reject it? Um, and then the second thing is is can you set the defender up to get screened? And this is to me where a lot of ball screen offense, a lot of screening in general, and this is nothing new. It just, you know, the fundamentals of the game. But a lot of ball screens and a lot of screening actions, there's no contact. And so what we're trying to teach is just set the defender up so that your guy coming to screen can get a great angle. And now you want to, you know, eliminate your defender. So the post guy now has to stay in front of you with your defender trailing you and so that's our version of two on the two on the ball and we want to create that as much as possible so what we're trying to do is you know teach guys to set it up and then use your eyes to try to mess around and 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 confuse the defense 
Um, you know, if you're looking at a certain thing and you might be looking at the drop pass and you throw a skip, you know, just using your eyes to try to confuse the defense to get the ball where you want it to go. But most importantly is getting to getting downhill, getting a piece of the paint and getting two on the ball and now reading the defense. Who's initiating your ball screens in your offense? Um, is it freedom of five men coming out or do you how do you control kind of the ball screens? Uh, and, and when they're being set? Um, assuming that we've had, you know, assuming that we have at least three guys on them, we, we've, we've tried to use the terminology a user or a mover. If you're a user, we try to identify that early so that the post guys can get used to, okay, that's a user, I can go out and get him. A user is getting ready to catch it, so I can go out and get him. Um, a mover is a guy who's just going to catch it and either going to catch it and shoot it or catch it and move. Um, and so we've been fortunate to where we've had a lot of users in our program. And, and so the post guy, we asked the post guy to create action. And that's one of the ways of creating action is on a ball reversal, sprint out, set a middle ball screen, um, throw it into the post, skip it out to the midline and, and sprint into a ball screen. Um, we kind of give the guys some freedom, but we encourage them to utilize that freedom by creating action either getting a post catch or, or sprinting out and getting out on the perimeter and in the middle of the floor and setting a ball screen for a user. What do you explain to your guys in reference to rejecting or using screens? Do you give them ultimate freedom to be able to do that at their, at their discretion? Or are you putting a ratio on that uh, for a, a reject or, or a use? Um, we, we kind of give them freedom, probably now that you say it that way, probably a little too much freedom because <laughs> we turn the ball over a little bit, but you know, a lot of it is built on their IQ and how quickly they can understand ball screen offense, how quickly they can make the read and really, really understand it. So a lot of guys, you know, they're not as effective with ball screen offense because all they want to do is score. So they're going to pound the air out of the ball to try to figure out how they can go score. But if you have a guy who's in the ball screen, and I'll go back and use James Harden as an example, of, to me, one of the greatest things that James, about James Harden's game is he constantly seeks the right basketball play. Now, maybe not so much now because he's constantly scoring, but back when we were coaching him and, and as he kind of got into his first couple five years of the league, his decision-making was unbelievable. And I say decision-making because sometimes that decision-making means, yeah, I can get to the front of the rim and score. Sometimes that decision making means the help's coming from the ball, the opposite corner, so I got to figure out how to get that ball on time on target to the opposite corner. But it's all under the guise of decision making, and I think James was probably one of the best of making the right basketball decision. But then his delivery of the pass was always on time and on target. And so we talk about that, we drill work that, we film that, we we really really hone in on breaking those things down from a one on zero standpoint with the guard and an air screen um, to 2-on-0 with the guard in the big to 3-on-0 where we can put the guard, you know, the opposite wing. So you have the guy in the ball screen, the screener, and then you have either a ball side wing on offense or he's in the opposite corner. And we just really drill that. And that's a great segue into um, my next question, which is in its simplicity, your offense is – is as simple as it comes. Four out, one in, we're going to set ball screens in the slot, and you're either using ball screens or getting the ball, you know, moving or shooting. Like, in its simplicity, it's 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 fantastic. It's a plain white T-shirt with denim 
Um, yeah. But within that, the complexity behind the offense is something that's so unique that you can literally layer that thing to be as as complex as you want it in reference to what do we do out of you know specific situations, where are guys moving, how are they moving, you know, when are they moving, and it could become quite of a mountain in terms of its complexity. How do you break down the amount of time that you're putting into your offense? Understanding that you know those motion ball screen offenses or any motion offense takes time to get used to and 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 click. What's your practice look like in terms of kind of percentage offense to defense? Um, let's say start of the year, middle and end. Yeah. So start of the year, <clears throat> our ratio is probably sixty forty defense to offense. And we spend a lot of time just just because for me I, I'm I'm a big firm believer defensively you can you can really control and dominate and manipulate a game from a defensive standpoint if you can get your concepts to be as consistent as possible. So we spend I would say sixty percent uh, of our time early in practices off defense on defense, and then as the year wears on and things kind of. You know, we've kind of laid a foundation and got, we've had some success at it or whether we've had success or not, we pretty much, you know, start transitioning and probably go 50-50 offense and defense. Um, And then towards the latter part of the year, because we don't spend as much time on the floor, we'll go probably 60-40 the other way from a standpoint of like all of our warm-up drills, all of our, you know, fundamental offensive drills that becomes our warm-up and so that would give the 60-40 edge to the offense at that time but we still get quality reps defensively so early in the year the 60-40 is the other way our warm-up drills are all defensive stuff you know how we're guarding the ball in this space and, and footwork and moving your feet and post area defense and getting through screens we use that you know warm-up stuff and then we go live with refs at that and then we switch over and then you know towards the end of the year we kind of flip it and, and do the offensive warm-up through off you know through offensive skill work um but but we never really get a week how we do we try not to ever get away from our uh base concepts of you know offensively spacing move the ball get two on the ball defensively can we guard penetrate can we contain penetration What's our ball screen coverage? And then rebound. Those are our concepts that we try to stick to nonstop. The great thing about you know coaches at home that are, are listening in there, you know, they may be there's no right or wrong way to do it. So no doubt, it's it's however you do it. But yeah. I always love the idea of in a in an offense like yours where it's it's random. Like you, we could watch a game together, and you would have an idea of where things are going to happen and what your players may yeah. do, but the randomness is is 100%. Like, you can't no predict exactly what's going to happen because you're not running sets. You're allowing your guys to play within your offense. And I've always found and loved that part of, of practice because you're always repping defense within the randomness of your offense. So you're always having to guard actions that are not scripted. So your guys are constantly, even when it might be an offensive-minded segment, you're still repping defense because of the fact that guys have to be on high alert and, and understand, you know, your concepts. And I, I always found that, that that was allowed you to feel good about, you know, like, hey, we're going to specifically kind of conf- concentrate on offense knowing that 
you know, we could yeah. really expose our defense and really find out whether we can guard. Do you, do you find your defense goes up with your offense as the year progresses? Um, you know what's weird? I mean, the, 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 true, the true answer to that statement is this. Our defense goes up when we score. Hmm. It doesn't matter what part of the year. If we're scoring, our defense is going to be that much better. If we're not scoring, it's going to be our defense is not going to be as effective. And to me, that's why we've been inconsistent in some years is because the good teams, the great teams, they're good defensively no matter what. But nowadays, you know, guys are attached mentally to these feel-good things and these feel-good sensations, and they feel good about what they want to feel good about, and everybody wants to score because that's what, you know, that's that's what everybody idolizes. That's what everybody celebrates is the guy scoring. Um, so, you know, the, the truth of that matter is, is our defense is always as good as our offense in terms of being able to score. If we're scoring, we're, we're fine. We've had teams that have been able to be as good defensively as, as we needed to be no matter what. Um, but unfortunately, those teams have been few and far between. Um, but I feel like if you can get it to a point to where, you know, no matter what, your defense is always good and it's always solid, you're going to always have a chance to win some games. One of the ways we all know to, you know, break a run or create a run is get to the free throw line. Uh, the yeah. irony of you coaching James Harden is that he's the best in the history of the league of getting to the free throw line outside of Shaq, but that's a different deal. Yeah. Um, no <laughs> but but uh, you coaching him and then and then also your teams are perennially the top free throw shooting team in the Big West uh, year in and year out, top three every year. How do you coach that? Do you coach that? Uh, how does that you know show up for you in a practice or, or even just a huddle? Yeah, the, the, we coach we coach the heck out of that. Um, we coach it from a standpoint of our terminology is uh, it's another part of getting two on the ball, driving closeouts, getting downhill. That's our terminology. We got to get downhill as a big part of our offense, but it's also a big part of getting two on the ball. And because that concept is so dominant in our program, and we've created, we've recruited guys that 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 do that really really well. Um, and we, in turn, help them with the decision-making piece and so on and so forth. But, yeah, that's a big, huge part that we coach to and teach to. I mean, even some of our our sets, our flow, everything is centered around trying to trying to create driving angles to get downhill to do, you know, to, to, to cause the defense to struggle. Or, excuse me, scramble. Cause the defense to scramble. Can we get the defense in scramble mode? And if we can, then, again, it comes back to the decision-making piece. Do you show guys – situations where you know you feel like man this is an opportunity to get to the free throw line and they don't execute that part of the offense are you teaching it on film as well as you know verbally and and physically at yeah. practice no doubt everything we do is teaching teaching that um you know that concept of what and and not only do we teach it during the game during during practice and those things we chart it during the game so we have a certain number of paint touches that we want to get to every game, and it changes based on the defensive you know, philosophy of the other team. But we're trying to get as many paint touches as we can, so we'll, we'll chart it. Um, and not only that, we also chart what happens when, when the ball touches the paint. Do we get a score? Do we get a foul? Do we get an one? If the ball doesn't touch the paint, what happened in that possession? And so we'll chart that and, and talk about it during the timeouts 
during halftime, during, during post-game, during pre-game. Like, that's a huge barometer for us to be able to know whether or not we're being aggressive and being effective with our offensive concepts. That, yeah. It, it's an interesting deal because some coaches don't want – and you can't coach everything. That's the thing I keep coming back to yeah. is – you can't coach everything. You can't stop everything. You just can't. Like, it's your philosophy. If it's your night, it's going to look good, and you're going to look like coach of the year. If you suck, you're going to get beat by 20, and that's just the yeah. deal. But it's it sounds like you've really honed in on the things that make your offense go, the mentality that your players need for running that offense, and it's shaped your recruiting. You've always got dynamic guards. Um, you know, for the last four years, every time I, I watch you guys – play it's like man those guards are really really good what do you look for in a starting guard or when you're developing your players what are the things that you need your starting guards or or dominant ball handling guards to have to be effective um one thing we prefer is is size athleticism um and athleticism can be you know it can be a misnomer because when i say athleticism i'm not talking about like you run and jump type of athleticism I'm talking about like can they can they wiggle can they get by a defender one-on-one that is super duper important because if you can't get by a defender one-on-one then you're not going to be able to create any help and we're not going to be able to our system's not going to work so we look for guys that have size that have speed they have um you know the ability to get by their defender um and and those those things are are paramount to us in, in terms of our success and then you know, we'll also look at guys, can you can you finish? Or how good are you at a finisher around the rim? Um, how good are you stopping in the pain and making the right basketball play? You know, can you get better? If you're not good at it as we're recruiting you, is that an area where we feel like we can help you get better? Um, so those are just some of the nuances that, that, that immediately jump off the page when you look at our guard plays. Is we're always, like this, this past season, even though we weren't as, as good as I thought we could have been, we were we had a big lineup on the floor at all times. Our starting point guard was six three. Our two man was six five. Our three man was six five or six six. Our four man was six seven, and then our post our five was was six nine six ten. So you know that's that's pretty good size uh, at this level. I appreciate you coming on, Coach. It's been awesome uh, talking offense and and kind of hearing your thoughts on how you guys play down there at Fullerton. Last question. Down to on the road, you can run any play you want for any player you want, regardless of league or era. What play are you running and who are you running it for? Mm. Conceptually, um, wow, that's, I mean, wow. I can pick any player. Any player you want, any play. Well, I'm going to have to go with Kobe Bryant. And I'm going to get Kobe Bryant into some type of isolation situation. I'm not going to let. I'm going to let him touch it early as a de- decoy, and then get it back to him later in the shot clock with an isolation in the middle of the floor, and let him go to work. That answer that. That's smart play, and I think Kobe would appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And you know, normally I would say I would go to a middle ball screen with a guy, but Kobe's not a guy. If you get two, if you if you bring two guys to the ball in that situation, in my opinion, they're going to trap him and try to get the ball out of his hands. What I'm going to try to do is is, is either run a ghost screen at him or just move everybody around and then hey, get, get out of the way and let my man go to work. That's smart, coach. Get your best player the ball and get the heck out of the way. Keep him happy. Keep your job. Maybe probably win the game, exactly. too. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> appreciate exactly. you coming on, Coach. I really do. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.